some pictures are going to come up, and I want to know, thank you, where it is and what it is. And that will give you a clue as to where we're going this morning. So any ideas? Where is it and what is it? Yes, thank you. It's the grapevine at Hampton Court Palace. And when I was looking into this, it just amazed me about this plant. The landscape architect, Capability Brown, planted it in 1768 from one small cutting. And the vine fills the greenhouse is just one plant. It's one stalk that has lots of branches that wrap right around the greenhouse. And if you've ever been, the second um, is the walkway that you can walk through. And it just covers the whole thing, but it's just one plant. Once it's started to grow, the extra buds are removed, the points are pinched out, and a number of bunches of grapes are reduced and thinned out. Then later on in the season, the leaves are removed to allow the sunlight to get through to the fruit. And then, when the plant is fully dormant in winter, the fruiting spurs are pruned back to just one or two buds. And this goes through this season after season after season. I hope you're with me, because this is where we're going this morning. It's a lot of work for just one plant, and it takes a whole team of people. But it's a process of growing and pruning. And it's the topic that Jesus picks up when he's leaving the upper room after the Last Supper. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection, well, the death and then the resurrection. Today, we're going to jump back just a few hours. He's leaving the upper room after the Last Supper, and he's walking along to the garden with his disciples. And along that path probably would have been vines all along it. So he chose to illustrate his final I am from this. Let's read John chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. You might have different versions. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like the useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered up into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and this will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples." This brings great glory to my Father. As I've spent time thinking about this talk this week, I've had one song going through my head. Nathan and I often joke about the fact that my head is a very noisy place, and it often has songs and music going around. But the song that I've had going through is Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. Not really what you'd expect on a Sunday morning, but hey, you might find out why later. Um, instead of asking this question, we're going to be asking about another question. How can I stay 
or remain and go at the same time. Through the next 20, 30-ish minutes, we'll see how important it is to remain if we are going to go. Through this passage, Jesus refers to himself as the vine and the true vine. The significance of this wouldn't have been lost on those around him. And the illustration of a, a vine would be one that every Jew would understand. Right through his series on John, we've looked at Jesus' different connections to sayings and phrases in the Old Testament. And again, by referring to himself as the vine, he's referring back to what God called and who God called the Israelites in the Old Testament. In Psalm 80, verses 8 to 19, Israel is the vine which God brought out of Egypt and planted in the ground. And in Isaiah 5, 1 to 7, it's another reference where Israel is referred to as God's vine. But on both occasions, Israel was the vine that refused the gardener's hand, and he produced bitter fruit. This is referring to Israel's disobedience. But Jesus here in chapter 15 is presented as the true Israel, the genuine vine, God's right-hand man. And in the psalm, as in the psalm, God is both the planter and the keeper of the vine. If Jesus is this vine, then we, his disciples, are the branches, deriving their life and fruit-producing strength in him. John 8, 31 says, If you remain in my word... You will truly be my disciples and you will come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. By accepting what Jesus did on the cross for our sins and putting our faith in Jesus, this leads to a union with Christ. And this is shown through our obedience, our love and our joy. He removes unfruitful branches and prunes those that are fruitful, clearing it so that it can be even more fruitful. The word of Jesus uses to prune also means to cleanse. The word abide in the NIV and other translations is used 11 times in 11 verses. So what does it mean to abide? It means to keep in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in us and through us to produce fruit. As a mum and a teacher, I find myself repeating myself regularly. In class, I find myself saying things like, are we listening, or am I going to be repeating myself 29 times? Here, Jesus talks about abiding 11 times in just a few sentences. Do you think it's sometimes we can be like the children in my class who need to hear something more than once before we start to understand the importance of it and what's being said? We need to abide in him. We need to remain in him. A vine branch is useless and lifeless unless it remains attached to the branch, the vine. The life-living sap flowing from the stock enables it to produce grapes. Otherwise, it's fruitless. The same is true of us, Jesus' disciples. It's only as we remain in him and our life is connected to him will we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Paul's saying the same in Galatians 2 verse 20 when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. And in Philippians 4, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I am a testimony to that this morning because I'm standing here. Along one side of our garden fence was a plant that grew by attaching itself to a tree. Unfortunately for the tree, the plant started to take over. So the neighbor who owned the tree pruned the tree, hence killing the plant. It wasn't a problem until we realized that this plant was what formed most of the border between our two gardens. And it was actually holding our fence together. It's since died, and now we've got to remove the plants, this uh, dead plant, from the fence. Last week, when we saw the storm, I was so excited because on Facebook, people were commenting about all the fence panels coming down, and I'm going, yes, please, yes, please. And Amos was the only one to survive. <laughs> so we've still, still got that work. The only thing that this dead branch is good for, much to my husband's delight, is a good bonfire. Can we keep the other fence up, though? This first section of John 15 says that the Father in heaven is glorified when we produce abundant fruit in our lives. As the Father is supremely glorified in the obedience of Jesus, so he's glorified in those who reproduce the obedient life of Jesus, me and you. The fruit that it talks about is the likeness of Jesus, fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I am still a work in progress. But the good news is he hasn't finished with me yet. We know what type of tree or plant it is from its fruit. And so the same is for us. The world will know who we are, not only by what we say, but what we do. When we're abiding in Christ, there'll be different things that show that we're true disciples abiding and living in him. The first is, we will produce fruit. It's by our fruit that the world will know us. Unfortunately, but I suppose it's good news because it means we're growing, is we'll be pruned so that we'll bear even more fruit. Continuously through the year, the grapevine at Hampton Court is pruned. Leaves, branches, shoots are all removed so that the fruit that will be produced will be more and of better quality and I have it on good authority that they now sell the grapes at Hampton Court. You can go and buy yourself a bunch of the grapes from Hampton Court. I can't imagine where I got that information from. We have our prayers answered. Later in the passage, we'll be looking about those prayers that we pray and how we're to pray. We experience a deepening love for Christ and for others. And we experience a great joy that comes not just from a superficial happiness, but comes from a deep sense of peace and security in what he's done for us. Abiding in Christ requires worship, meditation on God's word, applying these things to our lives, praying not only for ourselves but for the world around us, sacrifice and service. 
Through the passage, we see a progression. First of all, there's no fruit, and there's fruit, and there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. Many Christians would want as much fruit in their lives as possible, but not necessarily enjoy the pruning that precedes it. The vine dresser prunes dead wood away in the branches of when the branches are too crowded. Both will allow for a better quality and a higher quantity. God wants both quality and quantity in his followers. Pruning doesn't simply mean removing what's bad. It may mean cutting away some of the good so that we can enjoy the best. Pruning can hurt sometimes. I promised I wasn't going to go off piece, but I've just been reminded of something. Sorry, I'm going to add a story just quickly. Um, years ago, I was working for the church. No, I wasn't. I was working in a school, and I was looking at doing a Frontier Year project with New Frontiers. And I've always wanted to travel the world and go and work abroad. I feel God's put a sense of calling on my life to be somewhere else. And I had the opportunity of going to the States to do this. And I was really excited. I'd gone through a really long-winded process of application and interview that was really tough. At one point, I had Dave Holden and Dave Devonish, for those of you that know them, in the same room questioning me about why I felt it was right that I went and got through all of that, got the letter of acceptance and approval. And Malcolm Kite, who was the pastor at the church in Wimbledon where I was going at the time, was really pleased and, yes, let's go. It's the right thing. And everybody involved felt as though it was the right thing. Unfortunately, what we weren't privy to was the fact that the church in America where the course was based decided that was the year that they weren't going to run the course. But they hadn't told anybody. And so then I got a letter to say, actually, it's not going to happen. And this was a time in my life where God really pruned me. He really cut back where I thought I knew what he was saying. And me wanting to go out onto the mission field was the right thing, and I knew that but I couldn't understand why this was going the way it was. And I felt in some way as though I'd failed or something had gone wrong and God wasn't in control. He would have known this. As a result of that, Malcolm said, not a problem, stay in Wimbledon and do the same course, but in Wimbledon. So I stayed. And not long after starting, he said, I'm going to the Philippines in January and I feel as though it's right that you come. So we will pray that finances will come in and you will go. So in the January, I went to the Philippines, and as a result of that, decided that actually it was a country that I'd been told I would fall in love with, and I took them at their word, and did. <laughs> um, and so God's plan was much bigger than my ideas. He had to prune away something that was good for me to see that actually more fruit would come out of me staying in Wimbledon. Sometimes he uses situations where you think he's out of control or we don't understand to actually show us the fruit. It might be something we have to wait for, but fruit comes of it. I'm back on track now, Heather, okay? Where am I? The unfruitful branch in verse 2 can sometimes be confused with unbelievers. But it's not. It's for those that have actually already made that commitment to Jesus. They are in the vine. They are attached to the vine. 
But what they've done is, after that decision, they haven't followed through with their commitment. They haven't taken on the life that God has for them after that decision. Some scholars have suggested that when Jesus talked about this on this night, he was kind of trying to explain Judas and the fact that he was a disciple, but he wasn't part of the the vine. An unfruitful disciple that had chosen to follow him, but had not produced fruit afterwards, and therefore was removed from the branch. Disciples that keep Jesus' words and live by that word are clean before him. We then show that we're cleansed by the word by bringing forth the fruit of holiness and standing before him as righteous because of what he has done. In order to be fruitful, we must abide with Christ. We must keep our union with him by faith. And when we abide in him, his promise that he is always faithful is that he will abide in us through his spirit. Sorry. I think it's because I've just read the next word, which is remove. (laughs) Matthew Henry says this, remove from us, no, remove us from the merit of Christ we can do nothing towards our own salvation. Remove us from the Spirit of God, and we can do nothing towards our sanctification. In other words, if we're not abiding in the vine, we're neither saved nor changed to be more like Jesus. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If we're not in him, he's not in us. Those that bear no fruit after a while will lose their leaves, making it impossible to identify it as part of the vine at all. In Ezekiel, it's stressed that the wood of the vine is only good for producing grapes. It cannot be made into a piece of furniture or used as a hook. So unless it's fulfilling the vine's purpose of producing grapes, the only other good thing it's good for is burning. In and of itself, a branch is weak and useless. It's good for either bearing or burning, but not for building. The branch cannot produce its own life. This must be drawn from the vine. And it's our communion with Christ in the Spirit that makes it possible for us to bear fruit. In Israel, when the vine was cultivated, it wasn't strong, mature branches that were pruned because that would injure the vine. It was the fragile ones that were easy to break off. And our union with Christ is a living union so that we may bear fruit. A living union so that we may enjoy and have a loving union. We need not be afraid. There can be two mistakes that we fall into when we embark on Jesus' mission. The first is that we can be overcome with pride and assume that our talents are sufficient. Or we give in to despair when we quickly discover that there are real obstacles standing in our way. In this passage, we're reminded that God has called us into a partnership with him to remain and abide in him. 
Those branches that are removed from the vine are those that fall into those categories. Being disconnected from him can achieve nothing. But when we're connected to him, nothing can stand in our way. There are results that come from when we abide in his name, conditional promises that are made. In verse 7, it says, If you remain in me, abide in me, and my word abides in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. Does this mean God gives you everything you ask for? No. As we live and abide in him, our will comes into line with his will. Our desires become his desires. His passions become our passions. So that when we pray, we're not praying from selfish gain or self-centeredness. We're praying the things that he has placed on our hearts. Nothing would give God more pleasure than seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. These are the prayers that he answers. Some songs should come with a public health warning. I'm so glad you didn't sing this this morning. As a worship leader in the church, I often have to choose songs to lead us as a congregation. There are some songs I find more difficult to choose because I know how I have to live and mean what it is I'm singing. If I don't, then I shouldn't be singing it. In the song Oceans, there are a set of lines that I have to know I can sing with conviction if I choose this song. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. God uses and has used songs like this to highlight areas in my life that need to be pruned, enable me to bear more fruit. We're not producing fruit to feed ourselves. We're bearing fruit to serve others. We should be the kind of disciples that feed others by our words and by our actions. And this is how we show our love for one another. If the Father is pruning us, then it's a testament that we are true disciples and in the vine. This suggests that more fruit is on its way. And it's a demonstration of how God has spoken his word over us. I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Others have laid down their life for their friends, but Christ laid down his life for us when we were still enemies. Jesus takes believers to be his friends. He calls us friends. Not only does he love us, but he lets us know that he loves us. Now, if I'm talking too long in class, I have to give the children a brain break, so I thought it'd be a good thing to do the same. So, there are four pictures that are going to come up. The bromeliad, the tropical orchid, the raphalesia, which is the world's largest individual flower, and mistletoe. So what do they have in common? Yay! You can come to the front row again. (laughs) Yeah, they grow on other plants. The technical name that I've learnt this week for this is the epiphyte. Okay, 
It's not a parasite because it doesn't take something from it to detriment of the other plant. They're an epiphyte because the two can grow side by side. These plants use trees and rocks that are attached to others as support, like the plant on my fence. Living on an orchid farm in the Philippines, different varieties of orchids soon became my favourite. They were usually grafted onto one of the trees or, quite often, old car tyres to secure the roots so that they could grow on the rot of the branches and leaves around them. They only lived when they were attached well. They all looked the same when they had no flowers. The leaves on all of them were the same. But the minute they started flowering, they were some of God's finest designs. The colours, the patterns, the shapes, the detail. This was the work of the finest artist, our creator. We're different from those people in the world around us that are not disciples, by the fruit that we bear. When others look at us, what do they see? Do they see something different, truly incredible? Something that could only have come from a creator? Or do we do such a good job of fitting into the world around us that our colleagues, family, friends, neighbours, don't notice that there's anything different. My first challenge this morning is be an orchid. Be known by the fruit that you bear. If an orchid is not pruned after flowering, it dies. I've tried many times to keep an orchid, but alas, to no avail. Until last year. The right environment of warmth and water when it's finished flowering, taking off the dead parts. And then I leave it for a week or two, and sure enough, shoots start growing again. This has happened seven new times, and at the moment, I've got three new shoots on one and two on another. I'm so pleased. I'm leaving them well alone. It doesn't mean at some point I won't kill them off by forgetting to water them or leaving them in direct sunlight, but for now, I will enjoy the sprout of these blossoms. In this, there are so many parallels with John 15. The importance of us abiding and being rooted in him to see the fruit. John 15 continues, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things that so you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I have told you everything my father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. The Father loves the Son 
the Son loves the Father, which he showed through obedience, even to death on a cross. The Son loves his disciples, you and me. And from this, we're called to remain in his love. So the disciples' love for the Master should be shown in their obedience to him. Verse 10 and 11 adds his love and his joy to his peace, which we thought about in the first part, which is already promised. Verse 12 starts with the command to love one another as I have loved you. We know the love that he has for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus is speaking to his friends for whom he is about to give his life. He's not saying that he thought, once thought of his disciples as slaves, but the, the emphasis is intended that his friends would know the plans and the hopes that he has. Jesus has disclosed what the Father has given him. When he called us his disciples to follow him, he chose them that they might share in his ministry. And he shared that ministry with his disciples. The fruit from the branches is the fruit from the vine itself. Jesus himself lived all that he says. At the beginning of this series, we started looking at Jesus being the word. He himself is the living embodiment of that word, his teaching. United to Jesus as his disciples, we can pray in his name with confidence in the Father's presence. The treasure of the gospel was given to Jesus' disciples and passed on to us through the Bible so that we should go with it. The disciples were called not to sit on what Jesus had revealed to them, but to go. Being diligent in the work and doing good. This fruit, in turn, would bear fruit. As more people come to know Jesus, new believers then should go and bear fruit. It's a cycle. It follows what happens in the natural world. To end, he says this command. And he speaks as if he's about to give them so many more things. And then he says, love one another. Love one another. Jesus is promising that if we partner with him, he tells us what to say. If we write our own messages, he warns that they'll bear as much fruit as a branch that's fallen off a tree. But if we do as he commanded and we trust in his promises, he will speak to us as we read his word. This whole talk this morning started a few weeks ago when I was high with fever, in bed, thinking about things that I was reading. God showed me things from this passage that are evident in the natural world around us, hence there are so many flowers and plants and examples, and we're going to carry on with some more in a minute. But it's a direct result of God speaking his word to me, showing me insights into his word. And so I'm here today with the same for you. Jesus doesn't stop at what we say. He says that we need to partner in everything we do. He freely admits that none of his own successes were due to being God but due to the fact that the Father had anointed him with the Holy Spirit as a man. John 5.30 says, By myself I can do nothing. And in chapter 14, It's the Father living in me 
who is doing the work. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to complete his work, how much more do we need it? If we can truly achieve nothing without him, then the pressure is off. If our calling is not to produce fruit, but to bear fruit, then the burden is on him, not on us. All we have to do is stay connected to him through faith, prayer, Bible reading, obedience, in order to discover what God can do through ordinary partners like you and me. We will discover why God doesn't call us servants, but calls us friends. There is always fruit where there's life. Plants do this in the natural world through seed dispersal. And I want to return to what we find in nature to think about how we bear fruit. The first is through us, his wonderful creation of humans. We need to be direct and deliberate planters. Words and actions that are done in his name and in his power that we speak to people. They will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. I wouldn't say that I'm an evangelist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm definitely going through a season where God's giving me boldness and patience to speak to people about nothing more than my life and what he's doing in it, and by praying. And I'm seeing far more fruit than I ever have done. I've worked in the same school for 15 years, I've never hidden my faith. I'm also always the one that gets called on to do an assembly if it needs something religious. But we've never had a prayer group at school until this year. Three of us now meet weekly to pray for each other and for the school. We've seen incredible answers to prayer. We're being answered because we're praying them. I've got a freebie for you. Don't get too excited, but it is a freebie. I'm going to ask everybody, can you start? There's one each. You can take one each, and it's a seed. Seeds aren't very big, but I'd like you all to take one away. You can plant it, eat it. They are edibles. Most of them are sunflower seeds, so add it to a salad with your lunch. Put it in your pocket or your wallet, or do something with it. But what I do want you to do with it is to use it to think about how God can use you to be more purposeful. For that seed to produce any kind of fruit, you need to be deliberate in planting it. How can God use you to be more purposeful with bearing fruit? Which situations can you pray for volunteer for, we heard about street pastors and school pastors earlier, which situations can you visit or talk into? Be deliberate about what you do. The second is wind. The Holy Spirit can use words that we speak into people's hearts. He came like a wind to bring power, and he still does that in our hearts and lives today. Animals. I love animals, especially dogs. John and Raj used to look after a neighbour's King Charles Spaniel that was gorgeous but had a problem. I'm on animals, not wind. Stop. 
On a number of occasions, they had to take him to the vet when they were taking care of him because he got seeds in his ears. He'd roll on the grass and get covered in the seeds, and one would get into his ear. This caused problems because it was a seed in the wrong place and it caused the dog a lot of pain. But it shows us how clearly and easily that the seed can travel when they're attached. We take God's word with us wherever we go. We can be affected by his compassion for a situation. When we talk to others, we can be effective and affected by those situations. As we brush up against other people in daily life, then his seeds, his love, his fruit will rub off on those people. Birds. I was challenged to get this one in, so I have. We know that birds digest seeds in fruit and they dispose of what's left over. And those seeds are transported to other places. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? Okay. As we take in God's words, there needs to be a channel for us to outwork what God is doing in us. For us, it's not the waste, but it's the bearing fruit in different situations that will spread the word of the gospel. Bursting. Verse 11 tells us, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Have you ever met a new Christian? They just can't keep it in. They're bursting with joy. My prayer for us as a church is that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation so that we can't keep in what he's done. And as a result, we share and act so that others around us know what he's done for them too. Water, my favorite. Some of us will be taken further abroad to disperse our fruit. I believe there are people here that God wants to use in other countries, not necessarily long-term, but to bear fruit. We can do that in Sutton High Street. When we were giving out the Easter eggs, I probably spoke to more Eastern Europeans on the high street than I did English people. The nations are here with us. From the parable of the sower, we know that seeds have to be sown in many different places for them to bear fruit. Recently, I read a quote that's been relevant, very relevant to me over the past year. Sometimes you're in dark places, you feel like you've been buried, but actually, you've been planted. Bearing fruit goes through seasons in the natural world, and God takes us through those seasons too. If you're in a place where you don't seem to be bearing much fruit, ask God why not. It may be that he's preparing you, training you, anointing you in new ways to go and do something new for him, and that's okay. We need those growing times too. We thought about being in the importance of abiding, but I think it's clear from chapter John that the application of the abiding is that we should go and love one another. Hopefully now you can see the answer to my original question. How can I stay or remain and go at the same time? 
for us to go out into the world with the commission that was left by Jesus to all his disciples. We need to remain in him. For some here, it'd be the first time that you've heard about being part of what God is doing in the world. For you, you need to ask for him to become part of the vine. For some, you know that God's speaking to you about areas that need pruning. And for others, it's just about going and bearing more fruit. We'd love to pray with any of you afterwards, if any of that is for you. I'd like us to finish by listening to a song by Julie Miller. The words speak for themselves, but I ask you to think about it. Where and how can you bear more fruit in your life?